Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to deliver healthy skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Gordonier, founder of SkinFix. Total Skin Nerds is where I get to nerd out with some of the world's foremost experts in skin. We deep dive into issues related to skin disease, skincare ingredients, diet and lifestyle modifications to support skin health, and even spiritual practices and their skin benefits. It's season two, episode eight of the Total Skin Nerds podcast, and I'm excited to speak with Dr. Rose Ingleton. Dr. Ingleton and I are here to talk about psychodermatology, how she came to create her beloved skincare line, and why taking care of one's skin at different ages and stages of life is something that can be done simply, consistently, and effortlessly. Integrating her medical degree with her background in psychobiology, Dr. Rose Ingleton is absolutely a fellow skin nerd, and you'll find out why she's regarded as a national authority in general and cosmetic dermatology, and learn that the key to maintaining your skin's health and well-being is all about consistency and sunscreen too. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. The SkinFix team and I would love to hear more from you. Please take a moment to leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. We would really appreciate it. Stay tuned, skin nerds. This is going to be a wonderful conversation. So welcome, Dr. Rose Ingleton. It's such an honor to have you on the Total Skin Nerds podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. So happy to be here. So happy to talk to a fellow skincare entrepreneur, Sephora brand, as well as an esteemed dermatologist. I don't know how you find time for both. because I could (laughs) barely do one. (laughs) It is so challenging. (laughs) I can't even imagine. I don't know how you are managing all that's on your plate. But one question that I was really curious about is you went to NYU, correct? Which um, is so cool. And you studied psychobiology. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So what (laughs) is that? (laughs) You know, I think it was a contrived um, double major that was just specific to NYU. I've never heard anyone else in life have that major, but they had it as an (laughs) actual major. And I realized that the prerequisites for that major were basically my pre-med courses with a really heavy helping of psychology courses. Okay. So that was a great fit for me. I'm getting both the biology and the psychology aspect, but it taught me so much because I spent a lot of time dealing with the psychology part and learning about how people interact with each other how, you know, all the different diagnoses that are out there that people struggle with in terms of mental health. And Mm -hmm. I just think that it helped me to become more sensitive and intuitive when dealing and listening to patients. Uh, It's really served me well. Yeah. So psychodermatology is, you know, so hot right now. And there's so many articles in the media about it. And everyone's talking about this connectivity between sort of mental wellness and skin health. And we, at SkinFix, we do a lot of products for, we do a lot of therapeutics. So we treat eczema, rosacea, KP. Um, So I would love to hear just a little bit about in your practice, when you are, you know, working with patients who have a skin issue like acne or eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, and it's having sort of a mental health 
impacts? How do you ascertain sort of how they're doing in their daily life? And how do you typically integrate sort of more of a psychiatry, psychology approach? I do it seamlessly. And it's it's interesting. I, I did not realize all this was happening, but during medical school, I did several rotations in psychiatry, which is, you know, to become a medical doctor of mental health. Yes. And I was very, very intrigued by many of the diagnoses and just the fact that all these people present in the same way, you know, and they don't know each other, but everyone who's schizophrenic presents a certain way. Everybody who's manic, depressive, you know, presents a certain way. I was really fascinated by the mind, but I did not want to make that my specialty. I was more intrigued by, you know, the interpersonal interactions that you you take you have when you're taking care of people in a medical setting, you know, for health issues related to their body, their skin. I did not even know I wanted to be a dermatologist at that time. Okay. I just knew that I loved taking care of people, talking to them, diagnosing whatever their condition was and helping them on a treatment plan that would get them to a better place. Okay. And um, dermatology just ended up being a really good fit for me because I'm very creative, very visual. And it's, it's pretty happy specialty, really. Mm. You know, people, I see them, I can diagnose within minutes what they have and get them on the road to recovery if I can. If I can't completely help them, I can tell them. But the way that I see it playing in the practice is there's a lot of what I call talkesthesia that goes okay. on when you're in my, in my office. It takes a long time to get a first appointment for a reason because when you come in, it is very dedicated. I want to hear why you're here. Mm what you've been using, what have been your challenges along the way with your skin. And then I can examine you and figure out how I can help you. But if I just walk in a room and I never talk to the person, I just look from across the room and throw them a prescription and leave, which is unfortunately what dermatology has turned into these days. um, I never get to, to learn who the person is. I don't know anything about their backstory, what they do for work. Are they going through a divorce? Are they ill with something else? Are they taking care of someone at home? Mm. All of that stuff for me plays into how I interpret what I see when I look at their skin and how I administer a treatment plan for them. Okay. And are there instances where you will refer to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or make a suggestion? Yeah. Yeah, And that's an area where, you know, many of us as dermatologists are not comfortable Mm. because patients typically will not respond nicely to that. If they come to you for a skin issue and somehow it gets in their minds turned around and moved into the, oh, there's something mentally off that you need to address. Hmm. It's usually not met well. So okay. I think that my training as in, in, with a lot of psychiatry and psychology has helped me to figure out how to frame it so that they can understand that it's not that I'm, I'm pushing you off and saying, I can't help you. Hmm. I want you to understand that what you have not only requires my help, but the help of someone who deals with the conditions of, you know, anxiety and depression and obsessive compulsive behaviors and things of that nature. So it's in the presentation. It's how you present it to them so that they understand that it's coming from a place of care. Right. Not just be dismissive. Incredible. I think it's so fantastic that dermatologists like you are integrating this sort of holistic approach to the patient and asking, getting curious, asking questions and trying to sort of understand maybe root cause or other symptoms related, not just the what's presenting on the skin. And, you know, we're not really trained in that, by the way, I came to this on my own. It's just trial and error. And 
partly my nature and then, you know, infusing what I've learned along the way. This is not something that we're taught. Yeah. yeah. You have to actually really be interested to, you know, pull upon those, those tools. Yes. Yeah, so I can tell just by meeting you for five minutes that you're very interested in people and uh, you can, you can tell immediately that you have the, the type of demeanor that I don't think I'd be put off if you were asking questions of a sort of more holistic or personal nature. So I think it's also a, you know, the, the, the dermatologist themselves has a special skill at that. So it's really nice to see that integrated into a practice. I want to dive in and talk about sort of skin at different uh, skincare at different ages, but I also want to ask you a little bit about before we do that your skincare line uh, because it's beautiful. Thank it's you. so beautiful, and I love how simple it is too. I don't feel overwhelmed when I um, I love your calming. Is it the calming serum? Calming hydration booster. Love it. I love the sunscreen. The serum sunscreen is gorgeous. No, I don't have a sunscreen yet. No. Okay. You have a serum, maybe it's vitamin C. The vitamin, yes. There's a yes. complexion brightening one. That Okay. Com I, for some reason, I was thinking it had SPF in it. And then you're- I'm working on it though, Amy. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then the signature moisturizer is great too. Oh. But tell me sort of what was the impetus to, in your incredibly busy practice, to <laughs> become a skincare entrepreneur? You know what it is? My patients directed me there. Okay. I have been curating skincare regimens for my patients and writing it down for them. By the way, after talking to them at first and finding out, you know, what are you using? Uh, good. I understand. Now let me look at your skin. I see the situation. Okay. Here's what I think you should do. Keep this product, but you know, maybe you, you're better served by this product. And I would basically create a little regimen for them. Okay. These are the steps I think you should do in the morning. Here are the ones to do in the after in the evening. It's going to be different from your girlfriend's regimen because she's not you. Right. And I'd send them on their way. And of course, people did great. And they're like, come back. Oh, my God, Dr. Nelson, you're amazing. You know, you're telling me what to buy and what to use and da, da, da. And I'm doing really well. And patients would ask me repeatedly why I didn't have a line. Like, why are you sending me to Sephora necessarily or to Dwayne Reed or wherever to yes. get products or selling it to me in the office when you could create something for me? So they planted the seed. And so when I created the line at first, I wanted to create it to attack the problems that they kept asking me for help with. And okay. I simplified it into like four categories okay. of, you know, anti-aging basically. Yes. <laughs> um, breakouts, dark spots or discoloration and dehydrated dry skin, like sensitive dry skin. Okay. And I decided I would create serums to target those four common, common problems and pair that with the most amazing moisturizer I could think of making. Mm. And I spent the most time on that moisturizer because it, I, I wanted it to be the best, really. I, I benchmarked all of those high-end names that you know, you know, yes, the $400 yes. creams. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I wasn't going to make it a, a luxury product that was out of reach for people. And I so the thinking was make it really simple. Everybody can use the moisturizer because it's just packed with everything. I think of it like a multivitamin for your skin. Okay. It has everything you need in there plus a ton of ceramides and niacinamide and hyaluronic acid. And then there's the Jamaican superfruit blend that I put in there, which is cool. fruit extracts. It's, it's like everything. Is that the same superfruit that's in the cleanser too, Dr. Yes, Angleton? It's my, okay. it's my secret sauce. <laughs> cool. I love right. that. 
<laughs> Throwing back to my Jamaican heritage, you know, I just, I, I realized that I use a lot of fruit acids in my, my regimens, but okay. I was getting it from different brands. And so my thinking was get it all in one place, yes. put the concentrations of these items that you want in the product, and then just blend in all the other things that you want your patients to have. So they don't have to use 14 different products to get those benefits. They can use one moisturizer and know that everything already has been put in there for them. Uh, that was my thinking. So you're, you're you're supposed to use the moisturizer and then pick a serum that targets whatever your special issue is. I love it. I love the simplicity of it. I think it's yeah. really very contemporary too. I have a Gen Z daughter who's 19 and I think they're moving away from that sort of 20 step skincare mm-hmm. regimen and they want to really simplify and... So it's great. So speaking of different age groups and skincare at different ages, you know, I'd, I'd love to focus really on the most sensitive skins too, because I think that seems to be a focus of yours, Dr. Ingleton, and some of the articles that I've read. And also it's very much a focus of what we do at SkinFix, but specifically just starting with the skin barrier itself, now that we're all becoming more knowledgeable about this, what happens to the barrier itself as we age? Well, we're, we're starting to, it, it, it becomes more porous. Let's think of it that way. We don't yes. make as much, um, well, our collagen de- is starting to get depleted. Our elastin is starting to get depleted. We don't hold moisture like we did when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to use products that are much more, that are richer, uh, more hydrating than you needed when you were younger. So as you get older, the barrier is just getting impaired and you have to pay much more attention to protecting it and replenishing those little cracks in the system. Okay. Or within your skin rather. And just starting at the very youngest and we'll mm-hmm. move through, but when you think about babies and children, what should a mom or dad or caregiver be thinking about when they think about children and skincare? Because I think we think, I remember having babies and I always, you know, was very careful to bathe them and very gentle cleansers and then moisturize them. But then they get to be sort of beyond that stage where you're bathing them every day. And then I didn't use any skincare on them for a number of years. <laughs> but what should we be thinking about with children, especially children who might be prone to eczema, or right. psoriasis or other skin concerns are just very sensitive. What should we think about in terms of their... So in babies, we, we're usually trying to think of very milky, creamy, soap-free type products, things that don't foam up heavily, okay. things that won't sting their eyes if it gets in their eyes because, you know, they're all over the place and, you know, yeah. things end up everywhere. <laughs> uh, but, you know, th- that whole idea of bubble baths, I'm not a fan of that for little kids. I, okay. I want things that are more hydrating and soothing. Mm. Okay. I'm usually thinking of very hydrating products for for little ones. And then it's super important that when they're in a bath, and typically they're doing baths, that they're not left in the water for way too long. Because no matter your age, if you're in there for too long, you're going to start to lose a lot of that moisture. Actually, it gets all sucked out and you come out looking pruney. Yes. It's super important at the end of a bath to pat dry and apply the richest moisturizer you can find for a, a baby. And definitely avoid the things that are highly fragranced because Mm. so many of the children are actually going to be sensitive to fragrances. Mm. So you don't want to add any extra things that could possibly set off eczema where there was no eczema before. 
you don't need to use products that have any enhancements like uh, fruit acids and urea and lactic acids, things that you would use on older skin yes. to keep it soft. You just need things that are pretty rich in like petrolatum or um, glycerin, um, super hydrating, you know, but without the additives, no acids. Okay. Babies don't need that yet. Their skin, they're, they're plump. Yes, they are. <laughs> So much collagen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So then into sort of teens and twenties, you know, I think about my daughter and she's bought into all the TikTok shenanigans and had the retinol eye creams. And I'm like, what? How old is she? 19. Yeah. (laughs) And this is happening in like 15, 16. So really what should they be thinking about in their late teens and twenties in terms of skincare? You see, in the in the teens and twenties, um, they're very similar. Skin has become very oily. Mm. If you're going to get acne, that's when it's starting to show up. So the right. face is going to have, you know, either whiteheads, blackheads, or those cysts and pustules. Depends on your genetic makeup. But you tend to be oily, clogged up, pimply. You know, all of those things. <laughs> so the focus should be on correcting for that. So most of my patients in that age group will be recommended to use some kind of cleanser that helps with oiliness. Okay. So if they're actually breaking out, you know, salicylic acid based cleanser would be a great idea. And they will use the ones that are foamy, right? So unlike the baby, yes. their cleanser can be foamy because the foamier cleansers tend generally speaking to be a bit more astringent. They remove a little extra, extra oil that's sitting on your skin. Okay. So a salicylic acid cleanser, even a glycolic acid cleanser. Um, By the way, my skincare line has an amazing cleanser that has um, fruit acids in it as well. It's good for every age, but um, I just thought I'd mention it there. It'll be better suited for the later age group when we talk about them. Okay. (laughs) But in the younger kids, you know, I would say something that's a bit foamy and has some fruit acids in it, like salicylic or glycolic acid. I also spend a lot of time educating that age group about the importance of wearing sunscreen mm. because the earlier they get that to become part of their regimen, so, it's so much easier for them later on. That's when the damage is being done, right? Really? Oh, yes. I wish I had known, Dr. Angleton. I know, if only. And if they only. get the rolling of the eye, you know, and I get all of that too when I say sunscreen, but I'm, I'm going to tell them and, and explain to them how important it is that they are setting themselves up for success later. Yeah. They'll thank you someday if they're compliant. If they're compliant. <laughs> and then most of my, um, six, my teens and twenties will have some degree of acne. So they'll probably end up on a prescription grade retinoid. Okay. Um, and, and I'll teach them how to use that. And a retinoid is just a vitamin A derivative. Um, and the prescription grade ones are typically targeting the follicles and the pores that get clogged and lead eventually to acne. Okay. Uh, so most of my young people are going to have something like that in their regimen. Now, what if someone's listening to this podcast and is in their teens, twenties, and is struggling with some oiliness and acne and can't access a dermatologist for some reason? I live in Canada. It's very difficult mm-hmm. to get in to see a derm in Canada. Would you recommend an over-the-counter retinol in that instance for an acneic sort of teens, twenties, something? 
I actually do that often. You know, um, okay. many times my patients, the gr- the grown-ups, the parents, they come in and they'll describe their child to me. You know, oh, here she is, eighteen. And, you know, they get a few pimples, and uh, and I'll give them a recommendation on what to try. And then if that doesn't work, you come in, and oftentimes okay. I'll tell them, you know, get a salicylic acid cleanser. Every brand makes one, I think. Yes, yes. I recommend getting some kind of toner. Like I recommend the exfoliating tonic that's in my skincare line because it has the right balance in there for most people's skin type, and that will help to unclog and okay. remove the excess oil. I recommend the sunscreen. And then I say, over the counter, we now have Adapalene available, which is what Differin is. I don't know if you have that in yes, Canada. We do. But yeah. that's very good. You know, we used to prescribe that and then suddenly mm. it was no longer prescription. So I'm like, that would be great for them. Benzoyl peroxide products are available over the counter. And oftentimes in the dermatology practice, we're recommending that as well. So I would say maybe give them a little benzoyl peroxide topical. Uh, There are many brands right now. I don't know if Oxy 10 is still being made, but things along that line that have benzoyl peroxide, put it on in the day and then at night put on the different. And that's a nice combination. If you come to me as a dermatologist saying, you know, this is what I've been doing and I've only gotten this far with it. It's very good for me to then take you to the next level because you've already tried some of the really good stuff that should have helped if you just had a mild case. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, entering into our 30s, and I don't know if you would group 30s and 40s together, Dr. No, Angleton? I do. No. Okay. Yeah. So what would you do then differently in your 30s? So 30s, I think of as that, like the transitional time, you know, um, things really do change tangibly between your 20s and your 30s. The big thing is dullness, like the skin suddenly stops turning over its cells the way it used to. So that that vibrant, glowy skin you had in your 20s and your teens, to maintain that now suddenly you have to do work <laughs> because the skin just starts to take on this dull appearance. You might, if you're you know lighter complected, you might see little lines starting to appear where there was not a line in sight when you were in your 20s, but suddenly little crow's feet start to show up around the eyes in some people. Um, So you'll see that. You start to see little sunspots. So it's telling you, oh, you should have paid attention when you were 16 and when you were 20 to wearing sun protection and not lying in the sun and baking because now 10, 15 years down the road, these little spots are starting to show up. Mm. So a lot of that happens in the early 30s. So I think of that as like a big transition from the carefree years of things just happening naturally and easily to now suddenly you have to step in and start doing a bit of the work to maintain your skin, to uh, to keep it looking great. And so what are the sort of key products that you would introduce to someone's regimen at that age? Would it be an exfoliator and some sort of a of a discoloration product, a sort of a... Absolutely. I'm okay. big on antioxidants. So okay. I almost always have my patients in their 30s uh, introducing an antioxidant, something with a vitamin C type base in it. Okay. Um, in my in my line, I have a complexion brightening booster, which is something that will help with brightening your complexion. And it's because it's taking advantage of a lot of vitamin C and, and fruit acids in there. So th- things along those lines that are going to help with repairing some of the damage, but also correcting for some of what you're starting to see. You're going to still continue your sunscreen. That never goes away. <laughs> Always the you, sunscreen. And then you're going to introduce um, a retinol. This is the time that you introduce retinols because the lines okay. are just starting to show up. And a retinol will be great to help repairing your collagen and can you know tangibly reduce the lines that you're seeing. 
or at least the appearance of those lines. Now, what if you're someone who is really sensitive, Dr. Ingleton, or like mm-hmm. I'm now in my early 50s prone to rosacea? Um, uh, I've been trying a lot of products lately in development and I've got a breakout on my cheek. What about retinol for someone who's really sensitive? It's a very, it's, I'm super sensitive to retinols myself. Okay. And so I can't use any of those prescription grade ones, ah, uh, okay. which is what prompted me to create a retexturizing retinol booster in my line. So you can get a serum that has a good enough strength retinol in it, but it's not irritating. Okay. So I usually direct my patients with sensitive skin to starting small, start slowly. And as your skin acclimates and you can then you can move on to the maybe you know a higher grade of retinol and ultimately to a prescription grade retinol. So just step yourself up. Don't start at the top and then freak your skin out and then think that you can never use a retinol. So starting small is best and starting with a product that touts that it is for sensitive skin or you know for introductory people using retinols, something along those lines, you wanna look for that kind of wording on the packaging of the product you're buying. But okay. yes, there should be some strength that you can tolerate. Okay. All right. Now we're getting into our forties. How do we how do we think about all the things that could be happening and what products should we start to swap out or introduce in in our forties? So think of things as progressing now um, to where the lines are going to be a bit more prominent, right? So you will want to have the higher grade retinol if you can tolerate it. You want to introduce some peptides into the mix. Okay. Uh, you think think of building collagen. Anything that's available that can help build a collagen, we want it. Okay. So vitamin C products again are super helpful for that. Hyaluronic acid products are great for that because you're starting to tend towards the dryness now. So you're no longer that teenager who's greasy all the time. Suddenly you need extra moisturizer. The glow is continuing to fade. You want to keep using your fruit acid products. You want to do procedures in the dermatologist's office that help you along because sometimes the products by themselves are not enough to get you that result that you're so accustomed to if you if you've been taking care of your skin, you know, all the way up until your 40s. What am I forgetting? Your sunscreen, that's that's a given. Products that help to speed up cell turnover. So fruit acids. I just I'm a I adore fruit acids. I I use it for like their entire life. Fantastic. Except when they're babies, but once they've sort of gotten into their teens. Now, what about growth factors, Dr. Ingleton? What is, what is oh, your perspective yes. oh, on I growth factors? I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> so the epidermal growth factors are great. I actually talk, start talking about that in the thirties. Okay. Because the lines are just starting to show. And I, I encourage people to introduce the epidermal growth factor type products at that time. Okay. And continue them as, as time goes on. So we have a lot of options for building our collagen. You don't have to use every single one of them, but you have to be on something that is targeting the collagen. You have to be on something that targets the moisture retention mm. uh, and replenishment. <laughs> and you need something that protects you from further sun damage. And you need the antioxidants that are like your, you know, I think of them as like those, they're blocking all of those free radicals in your skin that are trying to form and age your skin. Yes. Antioxidants are doing taking care of that. So you do need a a targeted approach where you're hitting various aspects of what's happening as you get older. Um, But it doesn't have to be a million steps. Like, you know, I I like multifunctional products so that you can get something that has peptides and hyaluronic acid and 
you know, maybe even epidermal growth factors in there. Right. Uh, try to, if you can do combination products, it makes it easier. And then you can be more consistent if it's a simple regimen. Yes, definitely. I think that's it, right? If it gets too complicated and too many steps and too many processes, people uh, sometimes struggle. So now we're in our 50s. And I think I'll sort of say 50s plus <laughs> because we could go, you know, and I, I'm thinking too, you talked a bit about derm procedures being introduced in your 40s, but in your 50s, what else do we have aside from the topical skincare to support that? dullness and help with sort of the collagen what what do you like to use in so procedures right basically yes yeah yeah. so what's happening in your 40s and 50s is you're starting to lose volume Mm. so think of a balloon just slowly deflating right so the fill isn't like it was when you're 20 25 (laughs) or even 30 yeah so we end up introducing fillers into the skin artificially to re you know What's the word I'm looking for to to reestablish where you may have been before? So areas where you've lost volume, Mm -hmm. we try to replenish that by strategically injecting hyaluronic acid fillers under the skin, sculpting it in place so that it looks like it was always there (laughs) and you keep it moving. Yeah. Uh, Fillers are trying to replicate what we 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 had naturally. But as time goes on, as I was saying earlier, we lose some of our understructure, the collagen, the elastin Mm. layers are, you know, everything is kind of wasting away with the estrogen that you're losing as you get into menopause. These things progress. Mm. Um, So, and and also there's some bone resorption that happens. Like our faces literally change in architecture. Oh, You know, the jawline, you know, you start to lose some of the bone support there. Your chin, sometimes you lose some of that bony support. You lose some of the cheek you know, that I, I think of this as the scaffold on your cheek that holds yes. everything up. Yeah. You start to, to lose bone structure. So, I mean, and, and things are sagging, right? Because you're losing the under yeah. surface that would normally keep things plump. So we, we try to correct for all of that. And we do a lot of it with fillers, you know, okay. uh, there's so many types of hyaluronic acid fillers now available. You, there's one to lift, there's one to fill, there's one to plump, you know, there's like you pick and choose based on what you're dealing with. So, I didn't realize the bone. I mean, it makes sense, I, but I hadn't yeah. really thought about that. Is that sort of like an osteopenia kind of? It is. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what happens is you notice the result of not having that bone structure that is usually serving as a scaffold. And yeah. that's why you see a, a sagging jawline. Okay. Where you used to have a nice straight line. Oh, suddenly wow. you have sagging there because your cheek that used to hold everything up, things are thinning out there. And it just, you know, every the, it's, just a hot well, mess, isn't it? It's a hot mess. <laughs> and then in terms of lasers, I read an article that you were interviewed in. I think it was, maybe it was the Glossy podcast that you did where you talked about lasers. And I personally mm-hmm. have been sort of thinking about Fraxel, but terrified of Fraxel. And you had mentioned that there are sort of others that can be done repetitively that could give you the yeah. same results. So how do you feel about laser resurfacing? And if somebody was particularly sensitive or prone to things like rosacea, how would you approach that? Really good question. We do so much resurfacing in this office. And I'm talking about starting from in your 20s, where in your 20s, the resurfacing is not with a laser. I'm doing it with a chemical peel. I do so many chemical peels because that's also renewing skin cells, right? So 
in the in their 20s, I'm doing chemical peels that target the acne, the big pores, the oily skin. So like salicylic acid peels are done okay. repeatedly in our practice. No oh, downtime. Wow. Do it. Keep it moving. Okay. When you get into your 30s, we, we can keep doing salicylic peels but, or we can edge up a little to maybe doing Jesner's peels or TCA peels, which are a little bit deeper because your issues are now you know more prominent and your glow is running away, like I mentioned earlier. Yes. So that help <laughs> you. But we'd start introducing a laser that is fractional. Um, we do the clear and brilliant laser in our office. Okay. Which is a fractional laser, which doesn't allow, it doesn't leave you with much downtime. It causes this, this little pixelation of um, energy delivery to your skin where you start to see after about two or three days that the skin just feels really dry when you touch it and gritty, okay. Okay. like sandpaper, but nobody can tell that anything's going on. Okay. And about four or five days later, it's, oh, wait a minute, it's smooth now. Where'd it go? Those are the dead cells that we zapped and they dried and they came off, but nobody saw it happening. Amazing. So that's my favorite laser for like the working woman, right? So people in yeah. their 30s, 40s, they're busy. They don't have time for, you know, a laser that's going to leave them with, with uh, cornflakes on their face, basically. Right, right. <laughs> so we do that, the fractional laser of the clear and brilliant sort. Okay. Um a lot during the 30s and 40s. Okay. And then the Fraxel is what we step you up to. So I think of Claire and Brilliant as a baby baby Fraxel. Okay. But once you're like in your mid 40s, 50s, or if you can allow time for the shedding that's required for that. Yes. Then we move you to the Fraxel laser where we are, it's the same kind of idea. The energy is being laid down in a pixelated pattern, but it's a higher energy device. More heat is being produced it can penetrate a little deeper into the skin. So the result is that you do get visible drying and shedding that has to occur. It does occur right. over about five days. Okay. So you can schedule, you know, accordingly. Right. You have to hide out for five days, yeah, have your camera you know. off. <laughs> <laughs> Most people will do it like on a, they like doing a Thursday because mm. the peeling doesn't really start until the third day. Okay. So okay. They do it on a Thursday. Friday, you theoretically could go to work and nobody really knows anything happened. You look a little okay. flush. But right. Saturday and Sunday, you're like, you know, cornflakes yeah. coming off your face. And then Monday, <laughs> it's like, oh, look at me. Look at the clear skin underneath. <laughs> Baby skin. And what about yeah. microneedling? Are you doing any of that, Dr. Ingleton? A lot. Okay. Yeah. I, my, I usually think of microneedling as my go to for people with large pores, oily okay. skin, okay. acne scars, like those indented acne scars. Yes. Yeah. Even the fine lines and wrinkles that you get in your thirties. It's great yes. for that. Okay. I use it a lot for um, indented scars. Like even if you had surgery and mm, the scar okay. healed and then kind of puckered inwards. Yes. Very good to, to elevate that, that kind of scar. We we're using it for stretch marks a bit to help the, uh, the appearance of those marks. We don't have a perfect treatment for stretch marks yet, but uh, microneedling does kind of get you close. It helps with the texture of the scar, so it's not so indented. Okay. The stretch mark. That sorry, I said scar. Um, yeah, we're doing a lot of microneedling, and also microneedling can be combined with radio frequency. If you know, as your skin is sagging over time, you know, so forties and fifties. Yes. The microneedling is helpful with some of the tightening, but we also do radio frequency treatments to help tighten the skin up because. Like I was saying, you know, as time goes on, you're, the elastin and the collagen are kind of running away. Right. They start to sag and we want, nobody wants a facelift. Everybody's like, oh, I just want to do this without <laughs> without the, being cut. So 
we do a lot of skin tightening using uh, the microneedling device and the radiofrequency device in our office. And do you think that, I mean, at some point, you know, we're all living to be a lot older than, than our ancestors, you know, we're, we're getting into our 90s and in some cases early 100s. Do you think that um, at some point time will just win over or could some of these non-invasive procedures keep skin looking? Obviously, we're going to age, we're going to wrinkle, we're going to sag mm -hmm. to some degree. But it, do you think that they're going to be able to sort of keep skin looking better and healthier than it has in generations past? I think it can and will, because I do yeah. have patients who have been seeing me probably for the 20 plus years I've been in practice. So yeah. I've seen them age. Yes. You know, they started seeing me in their fifties back okay. then. You know, they're 70 something now. And the people who started early, especially with things like Botox, which, you know, most of my patients are starting in their thirties with that, because okay. that's when the lines are starting to show up. Yeah. Those women and men are so much well, better preserved. Yes. As on. You know, they don't have a lot of the lines that would have been caused by repetitive movements, which is mm. what Botox helps you with. Yes. The doing fillers, you know, they're just, you can tell they're getting older, but they're not, they're not looking haggard. You know, they yes, look yes. refreshed and they look like a good version of a 75 year old or, or yeah. a 68 year old, whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think with, with the use of a lot of this technology, we are going to be able to delay the onset of many of these symptoms and signs. Yeah. Um, yeah. The tightening of the skin, you're not going to ever tighten the skin enough with a device to make it look like you had a facelift. Right. But it can make you look pretty refreshed and tight enough that you don't feel like, oh God, I'm aging so fast. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to have a facelift. And what about topicals? Do you feel like we know more now about ingredients and formulations? Do you think we're getting better with the topical products also? And, and we'll also be benefiting from better topicals in our generation? I would say absolutely yes. Even in the three short years since I launched my skincare line, I've already gotten to the point where like, oh my gosh, I want to include this ingredient in there now because it wasn't available before. Yeah. So we're learning a lot about um, ingredients that help to get you the, the result you're looking for, mm. um, better delivery systems for these, um, these chemicals, the kinds of lasers that are being developed right now, you know, they're getting better and better and better mm. every time. So I, I, as technology improves, I think our results are going to continue to improve. Uh, products are being better formulated. Um, you know, the, the, the impetus right now is, you know, to, to get rid of all the things you don't need in the yes. products yes. and just really give us most of what is going to do the work, which is how I thought of my line as I was creating it. I'm like, mm. I don't want any perfumes. Mm. I don't want any, unnecessary fillers, any yes. preservatives that are not going to serve us well, they need not be in there. I want it to be clean. Mm. You know, just thinking about all the things that bother people, no parabens, none of that stuff. Yeah. So as we learn more and we make adjustments in the way we're developing products, I, I definitely see where we're going to get to a point where we're going to be able to have more people using products because they're not allergic to it or sensitive. And they're going to get better results because we're making the products more powerful. I love that. 
I know you have a very busy practice, but I really enjoyed this conversation, Dr. Ingleton, and appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. So excited to meet you. It was such a pleasure. And thank you so much. You too. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. You can read more about Dr. Rose Ingleton at rosemdskin.com, ingletonmd.com. And you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at rosemdskin and on TikTok at Ingleton Dermatology. Brilliant. What an inspiring and informative conversation that was. I want to thank Dr. Rose for nerding out with me and for sharing her insight, expertise, entrepreneurial spirit, and impressive work. Here are three things that really stood out for me in our conversation. One, psychodermatology is a hot topic right now and a fascinating subject to explore because our mind, our mental health is connected to everything, including our skin. It was tremendously interesting to hear how Dr. Ingleton's studies in both medicine and psychobiology at university taught her to become more sensitive and intuitive now as a doctor when she sits in and listens to her patients. Two, it was also great to listen to Dr. Ingleton's meaningful, targeted approach on how to specifically care for skin through the ages, from newborn to more mature skin. We spoke about the importance of skin barrier health, which as you know, skin nerds, is our love language here at Skin Fix. Three, Dr. Ingleton has built a flourishing practice based on her medical knowledge and dermatological expertise, as well as the communication and interpersonal relationships she has cultivated with her patients. And it was those patients that inspired the acclaimed doctor to create her beautiful line, Rose Ingleton MD Skincare. It was wonderful to learn more about her holistic philosophy towards skincare and the secret sauce she uses in her line, a Jamaican superfruit blend that connects to her heritage, her history, and her family. Thank you for listening to the eighth episode of the second season of Total Skin Nerds. We'd love to hear from you and would be so grateful if you could take a moment to leave a review. And please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Cohen Bay, Rochelle Gomez, Lauren Fonda, Megan Collins, and Karen Talaid. And I'm your host, Amy Gordonier. Till next time, skin nerds. Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find dash a dash derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.